Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate, And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Gary Morris, is the co-founder and president and CEO of Dominion Lending Centers. He is also the CEO of Mortgage Center Canada and chairman of Mortgage Architects. Together, these companies account for almost 40% of all broker-originated mortgages in Canada. Gary is definitely a serial entrepreneur who has sold two prior companies to the public market. He's been recognized as the finalist for the Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year in 2011 and earned the 2016 Tri-Cities Chamber of Commerce Business Leader of the Year. His companies have won multiple industry awards and have been recognized by Profit Magazine as among Canada's fastest growing companies. As a business leader, Gary is called upon to share his views with media throughout Canada as part of the 2011 pre-budget consultation process with the Federal Minister of Finance at the time, Mr. Jim Flaherty, and selected to be part of CBC's Face the Nation in 2016, and to have an open and frank discussion with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on a variety of economic topics. He has led multiple socially conscious initiatives as the co-founder and president of the I Am Someone Ending Bullying Society and recently co-founded Bikes for Kids, which is a national program that collects new bicycles for underprivileged children across Canada. He joins me today to talk about his journey, his views on leadership, business and real estate, combined with some thoughts of the impact of COVID-19 and much, much more. Listen in and enjoy. Gary Morris, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Been a long time since we connected, so uh, great to have you on the show and start to get caught up. 
Patrick, my pleasure. How are you? I'm, I'm actually, I'm awesome. You know, it's, 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 uh, regardless of what's going on in the world right now, you know, I, I can really get grounded in the fact that I'm living in the lower mainland. I'm on a, you know, beautiful five acres and I'm hanging out with my wife, who's my best friend. And, you know, life is pretty good, busy, crazy in terms of that, but you know, life's good. So I'm great. Yeah. Good for you. I'm awesome. I know the feeling, you know, our, our, the world we lived in and, uh, and our daily habits have all radically changed for, for everyone in, in the world in, in the last, you know, kind of four to five weeks. And the new reality now is setting in. And, you know, from my perspective, we're settling in fine and looking at this time as, as more of an opportunity than, than a challenge or a crisis, frankly. Yeah. Well, I think, well, there's, that's a, a, you know, I think that's a kind of a normal way for entrepreneurs slash business owners to really look at the world. We have to. So, you know, aside from the intro that never does it quite in justice, let's talk about Gary Morris and how do you want to present yourself to this world? You know, you're, you know, you're the, you're the big cheese at DLC, which is kind of awesome. You're creator, you're business owner, you're, uh, tell me about Gary, what do you want our listeners to know about you and what you do and. You know, I mean, listen, it's, you know, I believe you're not, you know, living to your given and, you know, through, through kind of a conversation today, if there's something that somebody takes away that's meaningful or ignites some sort of spark or makes them think of something different, then that's really cool. Uh, you know, from my standpoint, it's, it's pretty simple. I'm the uh, president and CEO of the Dominion Lending Center's uh, national group. So we are the largest mortgage uh, originator in Canada. Underneath our uh, brand, we own uh, several different uh, companies. We own, of course, Dominion Lending Centers, which is nationwide. In 2013, we bought uh, one of our competitors from CIBC, Mortgage Center Canada, and uh, a few years ago, a company called Mortgage Architects. So today, we originate more mortgages than um, any other Canadian bank in, in Canada. And truth be told, you know, we sort of pinch ourselves and just sort of enjoy the ride. I, I quite often make fun of myself and, and say I'd prefer to be the EIO rather than the CIO, CEO, mm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just, uh, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been lots of fun and uh, I think we're learning every day. Well, before we get into a little bit of, you know, that journey of how you came to be and how, you know, Dominion Lending came to be what it is in this world today, which is a significant is it the most significant player in canada yeah substantially uh yeah. larger uh than than uh you know most competitors yeah and i mean you're at the helm and and that i'd really and i know our listeners would really look forward to hearing your journey of of putting it and bringing that to uh to what it is today so but tell me a little bit about you know we're into covid depending on the release of this particular podcast, you know, it's interesting how much has transpired over the three, four weeks, five weeks, whatever it's been that we're, we're into this. And what has it meant to the, you know, the mortgage world, given what's happening? What are you seeing from, you know, from your perspective? Because you're, you're really kind of sitting on the other side of the desk. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's perspective, right? We're, you know, we're in uncharted uh, territories and, and everyone views the position and where we are today a little bit differently. Uh, from a sheer, you know, number standpoint and, and from, you know, uh, an evidence-based, you know, sort of uh, perspective, obviously uh, the world has changed and it's affecting, you know, every industry in the world. Some industries is having positive effects, some it's having uh, negative effects. 
Uh, we are fortunate enough to be in, uh, in an industry where there's two things the Canadian government really prioritizes and wants to stabilize, and that is the Canadian housing market, and that is the Canadian banking system. And, uh, you know, our business intersects both of those. So, uh, you know, we initially, um, you know, the first 30 days since sort of the COVID-19, um, you know, has been front and center, has been quite busy for us. And, and, and busy, you know, uh, in, in the way of, you know, lines of credit, early refinances, equity takeouts, people just looking to uh, create a buffer uh, in the event this goes longer than, you know, than what we all anticipate. You know, it's interesting, a lot of people, and I, I just said this, this comment a few minutes ago to my assistant, you know, there's a lot of people who are going to learn a lot, you know, from this situation. And there's a lot of people who are realizing that we just, you know, live our daily life and think we're doing okay. And as long as business is good and, you know, our income is coming in, things are okay. But as Warren Buffett said, when the tide goes out is when you get to see the swimming naked. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people and a lot of businesses that have been swimming naked. So we've been incredibly busy helping them shore up, you know, available cash inside of the last month. Uh, but from a overall, um, you know, national housing perspective, uh, we are now starting to see some radical fall off. So new home sales uh, obviously is the most affected area of our uh, of our business. So you know we expect tough times. There's 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 no question. Um, you know it's going to get a little uglier before it gets uh, gets a little better. But um, you know I think all in all the federal government. Uh, and even the, you know, a lot of the mayors, uh, there's been a lot of people who have really sort of leveled up and are doing a very, very good job. And the stimulus and the, you know, emergency uh, response from the, the government uh, has been incredible. It's been, it's been you know, uh, really great to see, actually. Yeah, I guess, you know, given what DLC is and where you sit, you're also probably concerned with some of your brokers because some of your brokers may have just taken on that brokerage recently, maybe partnered up with DLC wouldn't have mattered who they partnered with and they got hit with this. So there's, there's preparation around all of it, you know, as business owners, you know, I look at, you know, in my retail businesses in, in Alberta and Edmonton, you know, for 35 years and then like literally in a week they're done, the industry shuts down. So, you know, now I've got two empty stores, lay off 25 staff, do all the things that you have to do to, to literally stop moving. And it's a, it's an interesting you know, cause nobody's ever dealt with this. So it's like, how do you prepare for that? You know, back to what you're talking about, you know, you're looking at your brokers are dealing with individuals who are trying to find out where their liquidity can exist, whether that's in a real estate portfolio because their investors are even in their home equity line and they've lost a job. What does that mean to them? And what, what is that going to impact them in that regard? So liquidity is a pretty smart move and, and being liquid. This goes back to many conversations that we're dealing with right now with real estate investors is, do we defer payments? Do I actually defer payments? And those are all choices that people are going to have to make based on their given situation. And, you know, some are saying, well, my, my, my tenants are still paying rent right now, but what do I do if after May 1st, all of a sudden they're run out of money? So they're trying to hedge their bet in that regard. Are you, are you getting similar questions? Do you have a, like, is there a response that you in in this industry is there a response that you're giving to people that are asking those kind of questions around payment deferral, Gary? 
Yeah, I mean, number one, the Canadian lenders uh, are seeing extraordinary uh, call volume and email volume right now around that very question. And we work, you know, hand in hand with them. So we have been uh, inundated with, um, you know, those type of calls. I know I had the, Sco- the president of Scotia Bank, uh, Scotia Mortgage Authority, and in charge of retail lending for 1,200 branches in Canada on a program that, uh, that I run last week. And he said they were getting, you know, 25 to 30,000 inbound calls and emails uh, per day. And just keeping up to, you know, those inquiries was, was amazing. So, you know, number one, the thing that we're instructing uh, people, if you have not lost your job, if you are still one of the fortunate ones that are working, and if you don't need to defer, do not defer. Uh, and what goes hand in hand with that, if you have not lost your job, but you think, you know, that could change and your questions aren't of immediate need now, please do not get in the queue and call the Canadian banks or even the brokers for that matter, uh, because they are uh, working so hard to answer those questions for people who are waiting, you know, a day or two online in order to get that deferral program in some cases. So, you know, obviously, if you've lost your job, if uh, you have investment properties, if people have stopped, you know, paying you, then the most important thing is for you to know what's available and make sure that you have access to all the federal programs, uh, access to all of the, uh, the links, um, and, you know, and look to immediately shore up your finances. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we have to, you know, uh, scrub uh, all of our expenses in every, every area of our life during difficult times. Yeah. And most people can find that they can easily, you know, eradicate sort of 20 to 25% of, you know, ancillary expenses that, you know, maybe they took for granted. So, you know, at a time like this, we have to, uh, you know, make time to really review uh, our own personal situation. But it's, um, you know, the, the, the standard answer for us is that if you haven't reached it yet, there is no sense deferring payments and anticipating, make your payments, stay in good standing, uh, and only use the program if you need to. Do you, you know, a couple points that I want to do on a step. First off, you know, when you talk about, you know, getting your household expenses in order, I mean, I think that, you know, uh, you know, people are obviously looking and we're, as of right now, how long are we going to be locked down for? We don't know. But ultimately, let's say we start to get back into the world in May or late May, mid-May, who knows, right? But the point right, is, sure. is in the meantime, you know, if you've got two vehicles and, you know, there's that you're insuring, maybe only insure one, you know, you're definitely not spending any money going to the movies. You're not, you know, your kids aren't in any kind of, uh, uh, you know, sports programs. So there's a lot of costs that get, you know, brought down. You're not spending money on gas because you're not traveling as much. So there's lots of ways to, to reduce costs. And, you know, I think that there's going to be a certain appreciation for how little we can do when we just, you know, just dial it down a little bit. It doesn't mean quit living life, but you know, this, the social distancing part of it is going to, uh, I mean, when we start to look at what the possibilities are there, it's, you know, it could really, it's going to shut things down, restaurants, sporting events. Uh, I mean, other businesses, I mean, it, it, it really is going to put a damper on the cost of living in a positive way. It's going to probably reduce it, which causes all sorts of issues around deflationary stuff. And I want to talk to you a little bit about where you see economically in terms of uh, possible hyperinflation versus deflation would be a fun conversation to have with somebody like yourself. So, but let me ask you this question is that there was some conversations, uh, Gary, 
from individuals who thought, you know, this was emergency kind of response by the bank. In other words, deferring six months, skip a payment's pretty normal. You know, the, most banks offered that just as a course of doing things, you know, but offering three and six months deferrals was kind of a, a relief program and that, you know, maybe that won't be offered in May or may not be offered in June. And so lots of individuals hedging their bet because April 1st rents, I think it was 80%. Most people said it was about a 20% drop in payments. Well, that's April. We'd only been into it for a couple of weeks. Come May, come June, that's a different story because, Completely. you know, so what's your, what any read on what you're hearing within the banks of what they may or may not do in that deferral program? Yeah, I mean, the banks right now have been getting immense pressure from uh, the federal government uh, about being as uh, forward thinking as they can uh, to get through this health crisis. You know, remember, big changes from now, you know, uh, compared to what we saw in 2008 and 2009, that was a true liquidity uh, crisis. It was a financial crisis, whereas this is a health crisis. So, you know, it's funny because in my in my call with John Webster from Scotiabank, you know, he had just been on calls all weekend long with different stakeholders from regulators to the Department of Finance to, you know, the big six Canadian banks. And, and the message from the finance uh, minister's office was do whatever you have to do for as long as we have to do at all costs to get Canadians through this, mm. because largely this is no fault of their own. So I don't suspect we're going to see any pullback from any of the banks. Uh, they are being uh, really, really fair with deferrals, and not only deferrals on uh, mortgages, but on you know uh, other loan products as well. So you know the message that we're seeing right now. Uh, is uh, we expect them to be supportive all the way through. Now, you know, keep in mind that when they're deferring payments, they're, defer I mean, every bank is doing it differently, but they're deferring the payment, but, you know, you still obviously have You're to pay the it. interest. You're paying it. Right. Yeah. It's going to be recalculated. It's going to be added on to end of term. It's going to be an interest payment. I mean, every FI does it, does it differently. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and, and Hanson, and to your comments, I mean, your comments are bang on. April 1st was really... You know the very first, you know, uh, you know, start of the month. Yeah, you're all, and there people are. We're only ten days into it, so people still have right. a paycheck and you know all the yeah. rest of it, right? Yeah, there's there's a you know there's a lot more to you know there's a lot more to come. I mean, listen, my crystal ball is no better than yours, Patrick. But mm -hmm. you know, you see how quickly. I mean, the change inside of you know the dialogue, even over the last seven days, uh, for the need to accelerate this and slowly get people back to work and, you know, protect our seniors, but, but try to do a, uh, you know, a, a step-by-step -step reintegration back to the workforce and how important it is, is, you know, showing up in a lot of conversations now because it is very difficult times for a lot of people. Yeah. And I mean, there's, yeah, and of course, what's really starting to to show up in that, and and it's an interesting conversation. That, you know, it's and not that any of it matters. We we start to see, you know, a lot of the stuff that was sitting in kind of the dark web around, you know, is it a is it a scam demic and a pandemic, and is Bill Gates doing this, and where was Epstein involved, and all of like it's a very you know conspiracy, and I don't even like to use the term conspiracy theory, but it's a very dark side of how this is all happening. But here's the reality of it all: you can have a view of that. And I have a view of that, but ultimately it really doesn't matter because ultimately our situation is what our situation is. Whether we think we should be vaccinated and whether the government's going to, you know, force us to be vaccinated and all of the global controls and things that are supposed to be happening, got it. There's argument for all of it. We're dealing with what we're dealing with, which is an economic meltdown. 
and one of which many won't recover. You know, I saw uh, economic uh, Edmonton Economic Development uh, stating that they expect over 40%, I think they were saying, they actually said 47%, I don't remember the exact number, of small business they expect to close permanently. Like permanently. Mm-hmm. And you think about that. I mean, that's huge. And when we look at the economic fallout and what does it mean in, in, a, in a crisis like this, we've, you know, nobody's ever had to deal with it. We're watching it unfold before us. And, you know, if they flip the switch tomorrow and everything was back to normal, the damage that has been done economically is, is, is huge. It's, it's almost too much to fathom, you know, in, in the world. Yeah, I mean, the good news is, is that, you know, there has been, you know, several pandemics over the years. Uh, and, you know, the one thing we know for certain is that we will eventually get through to it, you know, through it. And, you know, some industries are going to be much slower to rebound, of course. But, you know, often after pandemics, there is this pent up demand. And, you know, you actually see a, a V-shaped recovery. And I've been on a lot of calls and, you know, they're not expecting necessarily a V-shaped recovery any longer, more of a W Unless, you know, of course, they come out with, you know, the vaccine. And as uh, Benjamin Tall recently said, the, the V-shaped recovery, the V stands for, for vaccine. Um, but I think that, you know, we are resilient. I think that we're more conservative by nature uh, in Canada. Um, but I do think that, uh, you know, in, in Q4, Q3, uh, I think the, the bounce back is going to be, in my opinion, for what it's worth, is going to be, you know, quicker than what a lot of people uh, think. You know, obviously, if this thing goes throughout the summer, then, you know, all bets are off. That changes a little bit. But, you know, as I said earlier, you're already starting to see, you know, the need to get people back to work, you know, safely, uh, you know, as quickly as possible. So, you know, it is uncharted, you know, territories. Everyone's got an opinion and and, and that's great. Uh, but, you know, nobody really has the, you know, the answer. There's a couple things that I want to commend. You know, what I don't even know if commend is the right word, but I think it's perspective that we have to add. There's a, you know, Stephanie, my wife, you know, is once, you know, made one of her statement in her world of coaching Olympic athletes where she said, you know, fear is normal. Panic is a choice. And we saw a lot of panic and whether that panic was, you know, running to the store and buying truckloads of toilet paper or hand sanitizer or whatever the story may be, or actually inundating the banks, you know, you have to give a lot of credit to the fact of how quickly it takes to for a bank, you know, to, uh, you know, really a central banking system to totally change and respond to that pressure. They didn't even have the answers. They'd never dealt with this before. No different than, you know, the federal government, you know, they're supposed to be equipped to do that, but, you know, agree with liberals or don't agree with it, whatever our federal government's doing right now, it's still a lot of pressure to also have to respond as quickly as they've been having to respond. And I think they've done a lot of things right um, you know, it's always in hindsight, we can be, you know, those <laughs> backseat coaches going, what the hell, yeah. you know, I would have done it. No, you wouldn't have, you don't have any clue about that. So, you know, and, and also, but in that, in saying that is, is that we, you know, within rain and what we do, we're dealing with a lot, a number of brokers right across the country. We also are getting lots of feedback and how important a good real estate broker, you know, mortgage broker is, a, uh, and especially an investor focused Broker, So, I, you know, I have to just kind of a shout out in that way, because we can sit back as general public and business owners and entrepreneurs in our, in our world and kind of, you know, go, well, why am I waiting on hold for five hours? Like what the hell's going on? And 
well, <laughs> what the hell's going on is nobody's ever dealt with this before and they're trying to figure shit out. So tell me a little bit about what's your thoughts, Gary, in, you know, we talk about the government, you know, the helicopter money that's coming in and, you know, they're talking, I think the last number I heard was 5 billion a week is, you know, what they're going to start printing. And, and those are really big numbers for Canada. Um, nothing compared to the U S but our population is nothing compared to the U S. So when you look at liquidity and the issue with the banking system, what do you foresee economically? Are you, what do you foresee, for example, a common one is, what do you, what do you think interest rates are going to be? And I know that none of us has a crystal ball, but sure. <laughs> from, from sitting in the chair that you sit in, in the banking world, what's your thoughts on interest rates and what's your thoughts on liquidity and what banks might do? Yeah, I think there's a lot of challenges ahead, you know, no question. Um, you know, I mean, I, when we talk about just interest rates in general, both long and, and short term, uh, I think you're going to see them very, very low for an extended period of time. And we've been on this incredible run. You know, the average five-year, you know, fixed mortgage rate over the last 30 years, 35 years actually was the recent uh, study that I read, was somewhere just under 6%. And of course, we've been, you know, hovering, you know, sub three for, you know, many, many years now. And we had all anticipated them starting to go up. Uh, but, you know, what's going on right now, that is highly unlikely. And if you look at, you know, the cost of money today, it's funny because there's been this real inversion over the last few weeks. Initially, when, you know, the COVID crisis hit, uh, there was, you know, you saw unprecedented inside of 10 days, you know, two, uh, you know, uh, prime rate cuts, substantial cuts, uh, the biggest cuts since 2009. And the actual cost of money for the general Canadian, the borrower was actually going up. And, and we were getting all kinds of inquiries. Why is the cost of money going up? Why are rates coming down? Is why, and why are the interest rates going up? And, you know, uh, simply put, the cost of money for the FIs, for the actual banks, you know, uh, to lend was rising. So, you know, um, any of their uh, financial instruments, um, you know, their mortgage-backed security uh, programs, any of their investors that are, you know, uh, that are buying um, you know, these mortgages were looking for a premium because there is perceived greater risk. So the cost was more expensive. But also, you think about how banks work. They have this massive deposit base, you know, from you and I and every individual that's, you know, putting their paycheck into their, into their savings or checking account, but primarily all the business accounts. And these business accounts, you know, stopped operating. People were closed. So, you know, because of that, the cost of capital uh, started to rise, uh, you know, radically. But the long-term outlook for, for rates, uh, you know, anyone who, who is weighing your opinion these days is of the opinion that we're going to see, you know, continued low rates for, you know, at least the next couple of years. Yeah, well, I think so, I was reading bond is, bonds are in negative territory at times or, yeah, so... I mean, that's a pretty good indication of what's what's going on. You know, and more importantly now too, right, when you're coming out of a crisis like this and, and you've had, uh, you know, such a difficult period and you've had people who are absolutely stretched, you know, to the max now who haven't had regular, you know, regular paychecks, you know, the stakeholders have to be very, very careful. Uh, you know, uh, like, you know, the first question is that you get all the time, are taxes going to be increased? Are we going to see, you know, massive taxes increased overnight? And, you know, the answer to that is probably not as well because, you know, although you're trying to slowly work your way out of there, you know, you can't do further damage after, you know, a pandemic immediately. So, you know, what you're going to see is, you know, obviously, you know, our deficit, our government deficit continue to grow. Yeah, it's hard to paint, a, you know, any kind of 
a rosy picture. And, and I don't think it serves us to look through rose colored glasses. I mean, we have to go in it and look at the opportunities that are going to show up and, and how do we embrace those opportunities? How do we come back from this and, you know, really take on and have the spirit of, of getting through all of this. But, you know, I think it, there's, everybody has made it abundantly clear, you know, what we would call leaders in, in our world, whether it be our federal government or our, you know, provincial premiers, whatever it is, that they're talking about how painful this is going to be in terms of recovery. But I look at, you know, when you look at the the actual financial picture, you know, you're seeing, you know, what, what's going to happen where, you know, you number one have, and I'm asking this question from your point of view, Gary, you know, just from perspective and, you know, as a conversation, you've got business shutdown, whatever that number is going to be, you know, you're going to have small business shutdown, not paying tax, staff, of course, being laid off. You're going to have commercial buildings. I look at Calgary with the the vacancy rate that they had in downtown Calgary, and I'm going, now you got a whole bunch of people that are going to work from home, continue to work from home because it actually doesn't make sense. And then you have the businesses that are being shut down and they're not going back. And so those small businesses are not paying that municipal tax. I mean, so the, the coffers in, in any municipality, any city in a municipality is going to struggle. It's one thing for uh, Calgary or Toronto to get a check from the province, but I don't know, do, does, uh, you know, this is a smaller center of, you know, 25,000 people. What are they going to do? You know, are mm-hmm. they actually going to get a check? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an mm-hmm. interesting dynamic. And this is really where we look at a breakdown of such a, it's, it's, all, it's a, at a magnitude that's actually hard to put the pieces together to even try and look into the future. So I don't know how you're seeing it. Uh, and it's just a conversation, Gary, just a view. I mean, the post-COVID world is going to be very different, right? I yeah. mean, I, I can, you know, I know, Patrick, you and I can look in our own lives right now. I mean, you know, I've been working at home now for about 30 days, and I am probably more productive than I have ever been at any point, you know, going into the office every day, primarily because I don't have the, you know, distractions. And there's a lot of people who are going to feel that exact same way. 30 days ago, I was not familiar and I had used Zoom, you know, or any one of the video conferencing programs uh, very, very intermittently. You know, now I use it, you know, six or eight times a day and it's it's pretty easy to use and it's much better than audio, you know, than just audio or just a phone call mm. because, you know, someone, you can see when they're distracted, right? They're mm. much more dialed in and, and focused in. Uh, so we're going to be using a lot more Zoom for, you know, all of our uh, meetings going forward. If you look at the Canadian banking system, you know, most of the, you know, Schedule 1 charter banks, the kind of big six in Canada, uh, they have been very slow to move around digital platform. They're all working on it, but they've been very slow to move. Most of those banks now are completely uh, digitally uh, optimized. So in other words, uh, they all have e-signatures and we can do the large amount of the, you know, of many financial uh, transactions right now. You know, and they figured this out. They chased and tried to, you know, as an example, e-signatures. They tried to bring them in for the last three or four years. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Miraculously, they all have them out, you know, with inside of the last 14 days. If you look at the rules around, you know, uh, the know your customer rules and the ability to complete an actual, you know, mortgage transaction without having to be physically in front of the customer, you know, uh, most provinces have fast track now. The closing companies, the title companies, you know, the lawyers are all working together at speeds faster than ever before. 
in order to transform so they can keep the economy going. Mm -hmm. So the world as we know it, the Canadian banking world as we know it, the real estate industry as we know it, the mortgage industry as we know it, and, and so many more industries are going to look radically different when we come out of this thing. The way we did business is going to, you know, change. I look at, at you know, the adoption of technology over the last 30 days. Huge. And, and, and the, the growth that we've seen is going to be, you know, world-changing forever. So from our perspective, and I started off this call, I'm not sure if we're live or not at this point, but I said there's many opportunities, you know, um, and the vast majority of uh, people in Canada that are employed are employed uh, via small businesses. It makes up a, a disproportionate share of our economy. And, you know, it is, uh, it is incredibly uh, interesting going forward because now, I, I always, I, I use this analogy, now what we do with our time over the next 30 days for guys like you and I and realtors and mortgage professionals and anyone self-employed or any business owner, what we do during this gift of this downtime, in some ways you can actually call it a gift mm -hmm. if you use it effectively, mm -hmm. it should position you to be stronger than ever before. And what I mean by that is imagine you are driving a race car, right? And you're, you're, an, you're an oval track race car driver, right? The race is won or lost in the corner. You come into a corner, here's adversity, you hit the brakes hard, right? It takes a lot more skill to get through the corner. But if you can, you know, become more skillful and get through the corner, that is the opportunity to pass, right? And to pass and to win the race. And I look at this right now, it's funny because... You know, I can share a, a personal story. In 2008, 2009, when we had the financial crisis, we were number four in market share as a company, the Dominion Lending Centers Mortgage Group of Canada. And over the next, you know, two years, we went from number four to number one. Because, you know, when we were in those corners, we planned for the, you know, difficult times. We looked on our business. We reviewed every area of our business and looked at that opportunity. And when you come out of this thing, you can come out stronger. And that's sort of the message that I've been sharing to people. Use this time that we have right now, um, you know, if you are at home for personal development, for self-improvement, to review your practice, uh, practices in your business, to look at your exterior messaging, to really study your competitors, to stay in touch with all of your past customers and reach out now. Now is not a time for selling. Now is a time for, uh, um, you know, servicing. Mm -hmm. And reach out and build those relationships, you know, purify your database, you know, and do something good. And when you come out of this thing, if you use your time effectively, you're going to be much stronger than so many other people, you know, who are coming out of this thing. And, and in some ways, it's, it's, it's a gift and it's an opportunity. You know, it is, and I agree, and we're seeing it, you know, Rain was an interesting, you know, what we were doing, we started actually getting virtual three years ago. And our whole team is actually virtual, has been for two plus years. And even to the extent that we have an international team, you know, some really, really talented people in the Philippines. And of course, the, t the Canadian team is literally spread out across the country. And uh, relative to the overall team, you know, only about 20% of us are in British Columbia. And, you know, and, and I'm arguably in, B in Alberta as much as I'm in BC. So, you know, it's an interesting, but so when we, when this happened, it was for us, it was like, 
we, we barely missed a beat in terms of what we delivered and, and what we were able to step up and do. But now it's then now defining and recreating the business model. Now, not recreating the business model, but how do we actually deliver what we want to deliver to real estate investors across the country? Because now it's really messed up. Now, having said all that, the research, our research team is literally delivering like, I mean, it's world-class stuff. The banks are even reaching out for to us and looking at the reports that we're producing. And and certainly economists are looking at it. We've got their attention. And that's really cool because of, but that's the research that we provide. And I think that research is going to be really important for not just real estate investors, but I've always said as a business owner is that that research is so important to me as a business owner, looking at the economic fundamentals of what is going on. Now, of course, the economic fundamentals all change. But that's all to say that this is an opportunity to clean things up, to reinvent. You know, you use the race car metaphor and and I use a quote that I've been really stuck in my head. And, and that is that a crisis is just preparation for the next crisis. And, and, and really it does. As business owners, we, I think we just, well, not just as business owner, people in general can really get that it, it is an opportunity. It defines you. It actually can define it you. It does, yeah. And, it's where and champions are made. That's exactly. And, you know, uh, in the work that we do, in, in my wife, Stephanie, in her, in her Olympic coaching, you know, she, she talks about the champion's journey. And, and the champion's journey is about defining moments at, a, at every level. And to be an Olympic athlete, for example, or, and we always say, a champion in anything you do, whether it being a champion parent or a champion athlete or a champion business owner, these things define us and it's how we kind of embrace it and look at it. You know, one of the things that you said, uh, Gary, which I'd like to get into a little bit of the weeds with you. And, and first off, I want to just commend you a, a couple things is that we've only crossed paths a few times over the years. And, uh, but I have to say that, you know, you've always in the moments where we have interacted, you've been Awesome, by the way. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, I but I want to say that your reputation, dude, is so, so stellar. And it's a rare for somebody to achieve what you have achieved in any business, in this case, Dominion Lending Centers, with, I'm just really impressed with the reputation that precedes you. And and I wanted to acknowledge you for that. And, and that's just in my world. And but my world is actually a lot at the effect of what DLC has done over the years <laughs> sure, and what yeah. Gary Morris has done. So, uh, so thank you for that. I just want to just acknowledge you for that. Appreciate uh, honesty, Patrick. It means a lot, and I appreciate those kind words. It's you know, it's all we have, and it's it's not easy because, as you know, as you're growing, and you guys have done just just terrific work for a lot of years as well. But you know, as you get more successful and you get larger. You know, people are always looking to run you over and yeah. there's rumor and innuendo and, you know, all kinds of stuff that, you know, of course, it's never true. And, you know, I've always just, you know, had had the, the philosophy is that, you know, those who know me know better. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, I can't worry about what anybody else is saying or thinking. We can just worry about, you know, one conversation at a time and, you know, and trying to run a, a good, solid business where we're providing value. So, you know, I can tell you that doing business today, uh, 14 years in, in our case, is much, much easier for us than it was in the early days. Cause in the early days, I mean, it was, as you know, you know, as any entrepreneurs, it was tough. It was rough. It was, you know, there was a challenge in every corner and somebody was always pointing you, you know, and pointing you out. Uh, so it's nice to have done, you know, the whole circuit circle. I mean, I think we're at the beginning of the journey still, but that feedback is, is incredibly valuable. And it's nice to hear it from, you know, uh, someone on the street like yourself. 
So tell me something, Gary, you used the, this, you know, you talked about back in 08, 09, you're number four on the list. You know, we hit this economic kind of downturn, takes everything off the rails. Uh, you come back stronger for it. But tell me a little bit about, I don't know if it's leadership style. You ultimately don't do these things alone. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a team around you. How are you at that time? How are you rallying the troops, if you will? What kind of, let's put it this way, because you've, you're kind of DLC and you know, you're making high level calls. You have an executive team, I'm assuming at DLC that you're working with. And that's really the team that you're kind of, and I know you get into the trenches or you certainly were back in those days, but tell me a little bit about your leadership style and what your vision, how clear were you on the vision? How did you drive that? What was important to you at that time in working with your executive team? Yeah, I mean, I think my strategy has been has been the same for a lot of years. And and I call my mom my my accidental mentor, right? She didn't know she was my mentor. I was raised by, you know, uh, my mom and, and my dad who passed away suddenly last year. Mm. Uh, you know, both hardworking people worked at, at supermarkets and my dad drove a, a potato chip, chip truck. And, and the one thing, you know, that I didn't even know I was learning along the way was, uh, you know, just the value of building raving fans. And I actually, that's the way I phrase it now is building raving fans, you know? Uh, and, and so for me, it is like life gets easier. You see way more opportunities, way more doors open. People escalate things for you. You know, if someone is, is challenging you, they defend, you know, uh, you provided that you built raving fans. So my philosophy, strategy, whatever you want to call it, has always been that. So, I mean, you know, so many people who are building organizations, they they look to make corrections and adjustments with their staff and their team. So they go, that was good, but maybe next time do it this way or, you know, listen, this is the way you handle that. I'd like you to handle that. And, and managers so often with their team are always looking to make improvements and, and coach them and correct them. And I think for me, it's always been quite a bit different. I, I wake up every single day and I try to find people doing things right. And I try to find a reason to point out, oh my God, I heard you on the car. I walked by you. That was incredible. Hey, you were 15 minutes early. I mean, you know what? Might not sound like a big deal to you, but it is to me because nobody ever is in these days. And, you know, we only get what we tolerate. And, you know, so, I mean, I just, I, I think that, you know, the number one responsibility of a leader, of a leader is to lead by example. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? That means that you are always on, that you have to be the most disciplined. You have to be the most considerate. You have to be the most authentic. You have to be the most genuine. You have to respond with urgency. You have to be on time. All those little things that nobody scores as the reason as to why a company is successful is, in my opinion, the entire reason. Mm -hmm. And so when you build raving fans and people want to help you out, your people are so engaged. If I look at my head office team at any of our group of companies, they have been with me for years. Now, you know, we run a very, very challenging, fast-moving organization. So, you know, I don't believe, I believe there's only A players, you know, there's no B and C players. If you're not an A player, you're an F player. And we've always managed our, our companies with no hierarchy. So the person who has an idea, whether it comes from Deb, my incredible receptionist who's been with me like eight or nine years with a British accent, who everyone loves, <laughs> right? Yeah. Her idea is as valuable as one of my presidents of any one of our organizations. Mm-hmm. And, and I think because of that, we've built this incredible following. Here's what people know. You know, we will always tell and say it as we see it. 
it, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, they're not the most popular, right, idea. It doesn't matter if it's a contrarian idea. You know, for us, we just try to make decisions that are good decisions, right? And, and you know, if I boiled down everything we've done and, you know, I've been really lucky. I was, you know, as I said, I was high school educated with, you know, a C plus average with, you know, uh, no means, uh, you know, from a family perspective. But I really, really learned from, you know, my parents just how important it was to be a good neighbor and be good people. And, and it is really, in my opinion, you know, that simple. I can't expect any of my team to do anything, obviously, like we've all heard before, that we're not prepared to do. And everyone says that, but very few people do that. Mm-hmm. And the second thing that I would say to you is that when you use times like this to get ahead and, you know, and, and you're, you're taking this as a, as a gift rather than a crisis. And I, and I get that's not easy for everyone because there's people who are probably listening to this who are, you know, struggling to put food on the table. So the comparison, you know, is not equal, but to some people it will resonate. But, you know, we, we have to understand that as we, you know, as we go through this, you know, we're all learning together and there is no right answers and we have to be patient. We have to allow people to make mistakes. Um, but I think as long as you, you have that, you know, that core network of quality people that, you know, you're taking care of, you can get through any crisis. You know, I've, uh, I just love what you've said there. I resonate a lot with those values and and it's taken me, you know, sadly, I've, you know, I've got off track a little bit on, on my own, I compromised my values at one time, not intentionally. It just, you know, sometimes shit happens, right? You get off track and I did that. It bit me in the ass and it was (laughs) undoubtedly my, the most expensive mistake I've ever made. And, uh, you know, I finally got my head out of my ass and and it's awesome. But, you know, I I look at the team, you know, rain team and, and it is, it's genuinely a pleasure to go to work and work with these people every single day. So it's like, you couldn't ask for better. So I really get what you're, you know, I hear it in your voice in terms of what you feel around your team. And, and it, it really is a cool place to be. But let me go back a little bit because it shows, you know, as much as it is about, you know, the success, it's really about the journey. And I'm a little bit curious, Gary, for you, when you talk about that, that leadership, is leadership a study for you? Is it something that you pay attention to? Do you read about it? Do you think about it? Do you talk about it? Because for me, I'm I, I'm just not the sharpest knife in the drawer. So it takes a lot of work for me. I have to read. I have to have conversations. I need to pay attention to what others are doing because I just haven't never figured this shit out, you know? Yeah. So uh, so what you're saying, I, I you know, uh, resonates a lot with me. So, you know, I'm not the same person today that I was 15 years ago when I started this company. Uh, and what I mean is that I went through a period in my in my life where, you know, in many ways, I was an absolute shit show. You know, you're full of, you know, piss and vinegar and you're building this thing. And and some of the mistakes I made along the way, you know, I'm a different person today. And and I say to my wife all, all you know, all the time, thank God you stuck around, put up with me, you know, <laughs> until I finally grew up. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think that's the journey of, of most of most entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. I think you get to a point where, you know, the old saying, right, the older you get, the wiser you get, <laughs> you know, and all of those, you know, quotes that we love and these quotes that people collect the reason why they withheld the test of time you've been hearing these quotes for 25, 50, 75 or hundred years is because they're all true. <laughs> they're true. Right. So, but so you don't true. figure that out. I mean, I'm 51 years old and you don't figure that out, you know, until you just go through that, that, 
that journey in life. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, I am all about the number one investment that you can make, you know, in your business is in yourself. Mm-hmm. And I am a constant voracious uh, reader. If I turn my camera around right now and looked at all my books that I'm reading, and if I showed you my Spotify list and the podcasts that I listen to, I'm in a UE, I'm in a US CEO group with a guy by the name of Darren Hardy. Who used to be uh, used to own uh, Success Magazine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I followed Darren. He's great. He's yeah, a, he's very, an very good guy. friend. Of, yeah. yeah, very, very good friend of mine. Yeah. You know, I'm in a I'm in a, a personal group that we just quite frankly became friends over the years. We don't pay to be into it. It's just a bunch of of of, of good quality CEOs that Darren you know brought together over the years because you know he liked the gang mm-hmm. and we shared. We have a thread going constantly. Um, and, and I think that it, it dovetails back to our earlier conversation. Our job right now as leaders is to help everyone get through this very difficult time right now. So as an example, this Thursday, I have a call with Darren Hardy. I'll have three or 4,000 people on my Zoom call. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a favor that Darren's doing to ignite the spark. The following Wednesday, I have David Chilton, the wealthy barber, also another dear friend of mine, you know, a Canadian icon, you know, a mm-hmm. business Canadian dragon, you know, best-selling author, author of, of The Wealthy Barber and The Wealthy Barber Returns. And, yeah. you know, and I reached out to David and said, David, can I, can I cash a favor in? You know, this is a time. And when I'm doing these calls, I'm doing them for mortgage brokers, but not only Dominion Lending Center's mortgage center and mortgage architect, I've opened it up to the entire industry. I don't care if you're a banker. I don't care if you're a competitor. I don't care if you're independent, you want to invite your realtors, you want to invite, you know, your guests. Now is the time at times like this, as I said, for serving, right? You know, not for selling. Now is the time we have to go and we have to put our competitive fire aside. And those times will be remembered because there's a lot of people out there right now that are dying, you know, for uh, help and for some guidance and for some hope. And, you know, last week I had the president and CEO of Remax Worldwide, Adam Contos, 120 countries worldwide as my guest, also in my CEO group. And, you know, the week before that, I had a guy by the name of Kevin Cochran, you know, who owns a company called the Enriched Academy, a smart start to financial literacy and learning. Mm-hmm. You know, so we now more than any, I mean, we are always engaged in personal development. Mm-hmm. It has been my mantra forever. Nothing, I am much like you, Patrick, nothing comes easy, you know, mm-hmm. but I tell you what, there is more information and there is more opportunity curated on the internet. There is more, like we are living actually in the golden times because we can, we are living at, at in a time that is better than any other time in history because of our access to mm-hmm. information. So the difference that separates so many people is what they're doing with their time. So rather than sitting at home watching The Voice, which of course we all do, you know, at times, but we have to make sure that every single week that we are feeding and nourish. It's like a diet. You know what? If any one of us are eating cheeseburgers and French fries and, and, and if we're not nourishing our body on a regular basis, it's going to be a very short life for us, mm-hmm. right? It's no different in business and personal development. We have to constantly nourish our mind. So much like you, I do it constantly. And the more of it I do, the better I get. And because I do it, all of our presidents, all of our leadership team, all of our management, all of our owners and our franchise networks, they have this amazing, insatiable desire to, to learn as well. We all look for one thing in life, and I'll, I'll wrap this long-winded answer yeah, no, for you. that's great. But we all look for evidence of progress. So if you're going to work every single day, 
And if you don't see evidence of progress where you can become better, take the next step, where you can improve yourself to see a greater opportunity to earn more money, to have more time, more freedom, you go to work and you go, oh my God, I'm 35 years old. I'm going to retire at 60. I got 25 years more of this. It becomes a life sentence. How is that person ever going to be happy in that position? How are we ever going to bring the best out of that person? So our job as leaders is to constantly show evidence of progress, right? To give these guys opportunity. Sometimes it's through compensation. Sometimes it's through, you know, uh, uh, leading a bigger team. Sometimes it's helping them go on their way to start their own thing. But that is our job as leaders. And none of that, are, I think for very, very few of us, does that come natural, right? You know? Yeah, it, it, you know. Yeah, it takes work. I'm a I'm a voracious reader as well. I I'm listening a lot these days. I'm I'm more I'm really hooked on Audible. It does work for me. And but sometimes I have to stop because I'm also a note taker. I I have to write things. I uh, you too. know I, I share this. You know, uh, can you see this? Yeah, there. Yeah, remarkable. Like uh, it's a it's a writing pad called Remarkable. I got caught in it. I thought, uh, do I really want to spend them? But this is because I'm a notebook guy. I have hundreds of notebooks kicking around my house. There you go. <laughs> Me too. Everywhere. So I'm telling you, look into Remarkable, Gary, because it's like having literally as many notebooks as you can have right there. And it feels like you're writing on paper, by the way. So yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Anyways, we digress. You know, there's a couple things. In, and so even with my team, if we each, re, you know, if we'll read a book and somebody will go, dude, you got to read this book. And next thing you know, the whole team's reading the book. And what you talk about being in this time right now where so much information and you don't have to pay for it all. You can, you know, there's lots of free stuff out there. I mean, it's sometimes hard to get through the clutter of guys that are trying to pitch you another deal, but, you know, absolutely. but ultimately, you know, one of the books that I read, uh, you know, a while ago now was uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Wilnick. Jocko, yeah. Yeah, and it's so good. And I mean, aside from, and I love the way you wrote it because there's some really cool stories in there. So I think guys appreciate that maybe more than women. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, you know, he's doing his thing, you know, in Iraq and, you know, doing all that he's doing. But that whole concept of extreme ownership was really about... There is no excuse right now for not learning, discovering, even opening up a door to what the possibilities are because of that. And if you own that, if you own that, you you can own your life. You know, there's a there's a thing that I heard in what you were saying, Gary, which is just, you know, your passion, your commitment to being a great leader, but to also leading the way and supporting your team and being great leaders as well. You know, you do that through example, you do that by how you support them, how you drive them, the initiatives that you probably put out there. And ultimately it's about purpose. So what I hear in all of that is that you're living really your purpose, what you're driven to do. I mean, aside from family and all the rest of it, how you step up and live purpose. So for me, you know, when I got grounded in my purpose, which was, you know, people living their best, being their best selves and living their best lives, Rain was the the stage to do that. You know, it was really the platform to support real estate investors. I mean, as much as it is about growing a real estate portfolio, it's really about the personal professional development. It's about creating a life and a lifestyle and using real estate as one of those vehicles to do that. Along the way, who do you have to become to achieve the goal? It's always that question for me. You know, who are you who are you evolving to become to achieve your goals? And and I see that and I hear that in what you're doing. And I think it just speaks to the success that DLC has had because of that. And, and I'm sure in other, in lots of other ventures that you've got, cause you've always been kind of in that world of business. So 
the question, I guess, you know, for when you look at you as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, did you always know you're going to be that entrepreneur? Like, where did that entrepreneurial spirit get born for you? You know, you're a, a yeah. B or a C student, whatever your comment was in that you came out of high school. And so where was that kind of, was that an entrepreneurial accident or how did you get there? You know, it's, it's, and I'll try not to bore you and I'll try to, you know, shorten the story for you. You know, I mean, I was, my, 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 you know, my mom was a single mother when I was, when I was uh, very young, my stepdad, you know, when I was seven or eight years old. So we spent a lot of years myself and, and my brother with my mom and we tried to play baseball and the odd sport here and there. And because she was working, you know, a full-time job at Safeway and, you know, and doing some other stuff, part-time cleaning houses and that just to make ends meet. I always, you know, uh, wanted her attention. I was always thriving for attention. I could never get enough of her. So, you know, I found that making her proud at a very young, early age was how I fulfilled my need. So she was an incredible hard worker. I mean, my entire life, she said to me, you know, hard work won't kill you. Hard work won't kill you. It was what she was kind of raised on. And, you know, so I was always, you know, a, a hard worker and I always wanted to, you know, sort of get her ear and, and make her proud. So, you know, when I went out and got jobs early, early on, grade five, grade six, grade seven, whether they're paper routes or power washing donut trays at the local donut, you know, store or working on weekends at the corner market, uh, I did that initially because because when I came home and said I got a job, she was so proud of me. <laughs> and I just sort of early days fell into this rut, you know. And I learned very early that, you know, the more authentic I was, the more, you know, uh, polite I was. Uh, I mean, I remember as a, as, a, as a young boy answering the phone, people used to say to me, oh my goodness, Gary, you're so polite. You know, the way you answered it, like, you know, where most kids don't think that way. I, I, I identified and anchored very early that, you know, uh, the more I was like that, you know, the more positive accolades I got. So, you know, I think it just, I left home very, very, you know, young. I left home when I was 15 years old. We moved away to another place. And, you know, I had had that early, you know, uh, sort of, you know, that work ethic instilled in me. And, and you know, early on, I, I found this this bug of, of, of learning. I mean, I wanted to find out how everybody else was doing it. And... You know, I read a quote uh, many years ago now, uh, but it's one of my favorite quotes ever. And it's, are you willing to do what most people uh, won't to get what most people will never have? Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and, and very, very, very simple. But, you know, for me, uh, we didn't have a lot growing up and, and, and I wanted some of that stuff and, and hard work, you know, at a very, very early age. Not only did I make money, but it was how my mom in those days validated me. Mm -hmm. Right. The fact that I could go and have two and three and part time jobs and go to school. She decided, oh, my God, and I got this immense amount of, you know, positive reverb from her because of it. So, you know, I look at it now and I was the luckiest guy on the planet. Right. Because, you know, I grew up and I was raised by a lady that had two key attributes. Right. Number one, she loved hard work and it was all she knew. So I didn't know any better. It was just I just I, I witnessed it. Mm -hmm. Right. Number one. And number two, she had very little, right? And she was always grateful. And I, I realized early on to be grateful and appreciative, you know, out there early on paid immense dividends. Mm. So, you know, fast track that through, through life, it goes back to my comments around building raving fans. When you build raving fans, when you're a hard worker, when you do without expecting anything in return, when you haven't got cash registers, you know, ringing in your head as you're trying to, you know, help somebody for some, 
you know, uh, ulterior motive. Um, and you know, uh, when, when people decide they, they like you, life gets easier, mm-hmm. right? You see more opportunities. And, it's interesting. And honestly, you, you, you talk about your mom, Gary Vanerchuk. Sorry, if I just interrupt you, uh, Gary Vanerchuk shares a story about, you know, his propensity for insisting that he opens doors and, and his realization that when he was a kid, you know, he's nine years old and, you know, he's walking ahead of his mom and, you know, they're going into a store and there's a lady coming in. So he opened this door for this lady and, 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 you know, escorted her kind of armed her through kind of thing. Right. And his mom just commended him on that. What a young gentleman you are, whatever his story was like, you're amazing and good for you. And Gary says, since that day, I can't see a woman going through a door. And if I'm close by, I've got to open it because the voice in my head is my mom telling me how proud she is of me for being such a gentleman. You know, it's a cool story, right? So yeah, we're all, I sure is. We're all driven by, by different things, but yeah. you know, those were the, you know, it's funny because I did a study. I looked at our top 10 mortgage agents in Canada late last year, and I invited them to our national sales conference. So between all three of our companies, we have about 6,000 agents. Our top 10 agents in Canada on average, right, generate $1.6 million a year in income. Now, our number one generates four or four and a half million dollars in income, but our top 10, the average is 1.6. Our average mortgage professional in Canada, over 6,000, is about 94,000. So, our, our, so our, our top 10 agent on average earns more than 17 times, right, the national average. And the difference between our, our, our you know, top 10 and Everybody else is nothing else but habits, consistent habits. That it. It isn't technology. It isn't CRMs. It isn't all this fancy stuff that people think are going to solve the world. It's their consistent habits that they deliver. Here's what I found most interesting. Out of our top 10 agents in Canada, right? Now, keep in mind, we do more mortgages today in Canada than any bank, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Six out of our top 10 were ethnic minorities. So in other words, they had come over here with their parents, as you know, young children or early teens, yeah. or they had left their native land, whether it was you know uh, India or whether it was China or, or wherever it was, and they came over here as an 18, 19, 20-year-old. So think about this, Patrick. They're number one in the country. They average 1.6 income, right? On average, they'd only been here eight or nine years, right? They came here with little or no English. All of them had you know, like literally very little money. They all did what families typically did, you know, as an ethnic minority, they had six or seven or eight living in one basement suite. And then a couple of years later, they rented the entire house. But these kids, these brokers were raised by parents that left India and left China, you know, and left the Philippines as accountants and as doctors and as educators. Mm-hmm. And their education wasn't recognized when they came to Canada. So they became security guards. They became house cleaners. They became warehouse staff. Cab drivers. Right. So yeah. imagine that. Why is it that they came over here? Why is it that 60% of my top agents in the country, right, are of ethnic minority? One thing, because they had been led by example, that hard work that was instilled in them early on, they witnessed it, right, followed them for the rest of their life. And when they got here, they understood the sacrifices that their parents made and how they had to give up those illustrious careers in order to just escape and give their children's better life in Canada or better life in the U.S. as an example and it was inbreded in them. So, you know, I always go back to lead by example, right? Like every area of our life, like people are watching everything we do. You will get the best out of people by being the best in front of those people because they're going to measure up to you, right? It's, you know, 
And it's so important. I'll tell you one other fast story and not to, not to bore you, but it's a story Please. that I tell, tell, tell often. There was a story, it was five or six years ago and it originally it was on Oprah. And I think Dr. Phil picked it up afterwards. And it was about this lady and her six kids, right? And everyone, when anyone who ever saw this lady in front of her children just thought she was the most amazing mother ever. And she was. I mean, literally, she was so loved. She would race across the, the, the room. She would hug them. She would be like Gary V's mother. She would, you know, like congratulate them on doing all the nice things. She would grab them by the cheek and kiss them. She went to all their sporting events. She was an amazing mother. Well, they studied her later, right? And all six of her kids were fucked up in one way or another. Feel free to, to believe that. No, we don't right? they, all, they all had, they had, had self-confidence issues. They had drug and alcohol uh, issues. They had mental, uh, you know, uh, behavioral uh, problem uh, issues. They had all kinds of issues. And they did it. They looked at her and they said, why is this? And it was not what she ever said to people but it was what they watched. They had watched her over the years, you know, say to her mom, why don't you get a boyfriend again? Why don't you put yourself out there? Why don't you go online? And she said, oh God, who's going to want somebody with six kids? And I'm way too old now. And look at me. And she'd walk by the mirror and she'd kind of, you know, like, you know, the grimace. Ooh. Sure. And she had just no self-confidence. Mm-hmm. But those, those poor children grew up at an early age and all through their teens with no self-confidence. Mm-hmm. And that manifested into, you know, behavioral problems, you know, confidence problems, you know, self-aware confidence and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and I, that's a long way to, that's, that's two sort of, you know, stories, but it's, it's all about, you know, you talking to like parents and, you know, we don't think that people are watching us. We are being watched 24, seven, mm. 365 by everyone, by our team, by our staff, by the industry, by our competitors, you know, by anyone in, in, you know, in our orbit. We've, uh, we're so on that page, you know, we've just the nature of the world that I lived in was working with young athletes and young people, Stephanie, you know, my wife being really the head of all of that world. But, you know, you make a really interesting point is responsibility of parents and in this particular crisis and coming back to serving is what we've seen. And I don't know if you've ever run across uh, Nancy Phillips, who really is a leader in the space of educating parents and children about finance. And Nancy is just, I mean, she's just gifted. And, and so we're putting, we're bringing a program forward with Nancy and where Nancy's going to actually educate parents on how to communicate with their children. Now, her research is all data-based. And I mean, she even talks about it right now. And we, I just had a conversation with her the other day, which is already family vice household violence has increased. Oh, sure. the, the pressure that parents are feeling and and not understanding how to communicate with their chi- children. Like you make a really interesting point. You know, it's the the child that says, hey, dad, can I have 10 bucks to buy my play box or my uh, Xbox game? And, and, you know, dad snap shows. We can't afford it. Don't you know that we're out of a job? You, you, you can't have that kind of, like, guess what? Yes, maybe justified perhaps. But as a parent, these are... These are scarring. These are wounds that carry long-term scars. So anyways, you know, at the end of the day, I, I hear what you're saying, and it's so polar, polarizing in these kinds of conversations under this pressure. You've now got people locked down in their houses, 30, 60 days, whatever it might be, 90 days, who knows, uh, working parents, kids that were generally looked after by teachers in the school system. All of a sudden, they're in, uh, they're part of their parents' lives all day, like, some parents just can't deal with that. I don't know what to, uh, what the hell do I say to my kid when they're under feet all day? Like I don't know what to say. 
And then the conversation around money in these times becomes so paramount. You know, you're probably your parents and and your grandparents, and you think about great grandparents and World War One and World War Two and the Depression and all of how that shaped what your parents think of money and their parents thought of money. And this is one of those times where I'm looking at it going, this is going to define even some of the children. You know, you know, Nancy says, you start having conversations with kids at six, not at 13 and 14. You know, that's that's almost too late. We want to be defining their their really their context for money and those conversations. And the reality of it is, which is I just give you this data. So you talk about boring conversations, but I get really lit up about this, is that in her data, the actual conversation, I don't remember what the present the percentage is, so I won't profess to know it, but it's incredibly high of couples who get married and don't even have a conversation around money, let alone then having children. And that's the elephant that's always in the room and not understanding money and finance and how to communicate with the kids. So back to the being of service, it's one of the many things that we're also initiating around that. So I wanted to put that on the table because I think you make such a great point, Gary, is that the polarization, you gave a, two great examples, you know, how you were brought up versus what you've seen and and we've all mm-hmm. probably seen. And it's so mm-hmm. dynamic and so important. Well, and it's never one, and, and, and to reiterate, you know, that it's, it's, it's never what you say. I mean, you know, lots of parents and lots of, you know, business owners with their, in their staff and, and their teams think they're doing a really good job. Ask them, they think they're doing a great job because, you know, they are saying a lot of the right things, right. You know, but what they're doing and, you know, what their kids by osmosis and what their, you know, um, you know, a team is, is seeing it is completely different from what they're saying. And uh, it's way more powerful. The old saying talk is cheap. Right. It yeah. is not what we say. It is always what we do. Mm-hmm. It's easy to say, set that to say, you know, anything. And, and especially, you know, when you put on a platform, but you know, it's, it's about doing, you know, the right things consistently and sending the right messages over, you know, over a long period of time. It's like anything else. It's, it's consistency. And, you know, there's areas of our life. There's some areas of our life that, you know, nobody, very few people ever nail it all at once, right? Some mm. guys nail windows of it. Some guys are incredibly fit and they're so healthy. And the next guy is is fit and healthy, but he has a broken down relationship with his spouse. And, you know, the next guy is very successful, you know, at business, but, you know, he's, he's dropped the health and fitness. And, you know, we always have a struggle going on. I always say to people, show me anybody without a problem and I'll show you a liar, right? And, and here's the good news. As long as we don't stop trying, Right. We'll eventually mm-hmm. get through it because we get old enough and wise enough and, you know, start taking some of these areas that we, you know, haven't made a priority. And there's a lot of people right now that are going through this crisis that maybe didn't even realize it themselves how ill-prepared they are for a financial storm. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and in many ways, this is going to be the hardest period they're ever going to go through. Mm-hmm. But in, you know, on the, on the flip side of the coin, they're never going to do this again right? They're going to be so much more prepared. You know, I, I did a financial literacy call the other day. And I said, I want you to think of it this way. You know, a lot of people are saying, oh my goodness, right? You can invest in equities right now in the, in the stock markets. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of it. And as long as companies have strong balance sheets and are, you know, defensible and, you know, can weather the storm, you know, a lot of these massive billion dollar corporations are on sale. They're, you know, they're on sale by 30, 40, 50, you know, 75%. And, you know, I I said to somebody recently, imagine this, you're not buying and investing in an equity 
right now because you're looking for a bounce. That's gambling. You might mm-hmm. as well go to the casino. Mm-hmm. You're buying it because you're buying a small piece on sale of a company that you're going to hold long term. And, you know, so when you go out and you spend $6 at the coffee shop today, well, you can go out right now and you can buy a Boston pizza share that traded at $20, you know, consistently over the last three years or above, and is now at $6.71 or whatever it closed at, you know, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's paying you a dividend of 6 or 7%. And that's the way we got to start thinking about people. Every time you go and spend $20 at the movie theater, well, guess what? I can go out and buy three shares of Cineplex. Right. Mm-hmm. These companies are bouncing back. I'm going to have it forever. It's going to pay me a five or six or seven percent return. It's just a, a, a reframing of things. And now to have these conversations with people, it's going to resonate right now mm-hmm. because they're realizing that they can get by without, you know, all the spending that we frivolously did. And make no mistake, I mean, we all like nice things in life. And I'm not saying, you know, uh, don't do any of that. You have to find a balance. But use this opportunity to really study, you know, the breakdowns in the areas in your life that need improving so that we can, you know, when you come to that apex of that corner and you're onto the straightaways, you're you're going to win. You're never going through this again. Mm-hmm. When you, when you, just because you brought it up and talking about it, when you look at you know, in your own portfolio, because these are conversations that are happening now more than ever. So you, you know, you did equities and, and so that's, you know, part of your portfolio it was, did you go down the path you did, was gold part of what you did? Was cryptocurrency any parts of what you did? Did you look at any of those uh, different kind of alternative investing strategies that, I mean, they've certainly been around for a number of years, you know, in terms of conversation, especially around gold and silver and bullion, cryptocurrencies more and more kind of off and on. And now it's really in the forefront of what's going on. Were you also part of that in building your portfolio? Yeah, so I'll kind of share with you, you know, so for me, it's, you know, I mean, some of the best deals I ever take are the ones I don't make. Mm-hmm. Because of course, once you've been, you know, you've had a little bit of success and, you know, you have, you know, a little bit of financial stability, there's always another opportunity. Somebody's always bringing something to you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most things that I get involved with, I want to be involved in a majority ownership because, you know, I know that I show up and I go to work every single day. And I really try not to invest in anything that is not intimate to me that I don't know mm-hmm. or, you know, doesn't leverage off of uh, my core business. So, you know, for us, Dominion Lending Center is just peer distribution. I know the mortgage, the Canadian mortgage space incredibly well. So, you know, I've made investments in other businesses about a technology company that is a super highway that connects bankers, you know, lenders and, and brokers uh, that's, that's doing uh, incredibly well. Um, I try to make investments that, you know, I can use my existing businesses to support. I, I like equities, but I've learned a lot over the years. I have a significant portfolio in equities, but I'm very, very, you know, particular in what I invest in. Sure. Even in the last month, I put significant money into the Canadian stock market. Uh, I've largely avoided the the U.S. stock market because the Canadian dollar is is so low right yeah, now. 100%. Right? It isn't time for me to take and convert that money when I can find opportunities in, in Canada. I've made the odd exception. You know, if I look at, at CCL, Carnival Cruise Lines, if I look at, you know, uh, uh, Princess Cruise Lines, and there's there's three or four cruise lines. There's two or three that are very solid. Uh, I believe they are going to weather. They're going to be the slowest to come back. So I've made some you know investments in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rare kind of exception, you know, in in U.S. dollars, because I believe that a company that's traded at fifty or sixty dollars, you know, for you know multiple years trading at seven or eight or ten or twelve dollars right now, 
is is a good opportunity. And then I invest in other businesses. So you talk about, you know, your data and your study and, and you know, things that are intrinsic to local markets. As an example, I own Whistler Bungie, 16-year-old mm-hmm. bungee jumping in Whistler. It's been there. I'm the largest shareholder in there. It's been operating 16 years. We are completely closed down right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, by going through COVID-19 uh, right now, I've revealed just an incredible buying opportunity in Whistler. Mm-hmm. Because when this happened, Whistler Village emptied. So all of these workers who were here from every other country in the world all went home. So what happened is Whistler and the rental activity in Whistler is largely you know, built on this infrastructure staff that has come here to run the ski lifts and the restaurants and with sure. bungee and yeah. that sort of stuff. So now we're seeing, you know, rents that were incredibly high. We're seeing massive occupancy rate and we're going to quickly see people having to sell their properties in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm sort of involved in, 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 you know, in the core areas, I'm heavily involved in real estate because I know the market. I'm in it. I live it every single day. Mm-hmm. I talk to all the Canadian lenders. I talk to all the Canadian insurers. So I'm, I'm much more into uh, commercial properties uh, than I am residential properties for, for a whole bunch of reasons. I'm into mortgage financing and lending myself because I know the business and I get, you know, sort of pick of the litter of the deals that I want to sure. uh, look at at maybe fun. And then I'm into some some fun stuff. And that would be Whistler Bungie. And, and that was just happenstance by, you know, I knew the family that owned it for 16 years, at that point, 15 or 16 years. Uh, and they were replacing the majority shareholders. So I, I, I haven't focused on uh, uh, gold and silver unless I'm holding, you know, something in in, in an ETF. Yep. You know, and even my, my investment portfolio, if I looked at and I had a call with somebody today, my investment portfolio is largely around the industries that I know. So I own all the Canadian banks. Why? Because they're very hesitant to ever cut dividends. Their stock, you know, prices dropped by, you know, 30 to 40% inside of the last, you know, uh, sort of 60 days. Yeah. They pay me a 6 or 7% dividend. I'm interested in the Canadian insurance companies because I know how they operate. And, you know, we do a lot of business with them. You know, so I'm very particular. I, I say no to most other investments that are outside of my area of expertise. Because quite frankly, I, I just, you know, I don't know enough about them. And it's, it's a big risk for me. Oh, you're sticking with what you know. That's smart. Yeah. So what's your kind of read on the real estate market, Canadian real estate market in residential, commercial? Do you break it down? What's your, what's your just overall overview? Because I know it's regional. You know, we, we always talk about regional. But what do you just see in an overall kind of way? Yeah. And before I answer that too, I want to have a separate conversation on your data that you guys create. Because I've seen a lot of your data over the years, Patrick, we can have an offline convo. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some opportunity for me to uh, purchase some of that data or, mm-hmm. or do something with you on some of that data. Because it's it's stuff that, you know, we have a chief economist, Dr. Sherry Cooper, yep. who was chief economist at BMO for 30 years. Yeah. So we're always collecting data. Uh, it is really, really reg- uh, regional. Uh, here's what I think. I think that as long as interest rates are low, the Canadian housing market is going to continue to be strong uh, long term. Uh, you know, certainly there's going to be some opportunities coming up. It, it, we can't go through the COVID-19 crisis, you know, without seeing, uh, you know, um, increased inventory. You know, people who get stretched, you know, unfortunately, you know, have to uh, list their properties and, and have to sell. And we have to remember, and you know this really well, the cost of money today and really the cost of money for, you know, the last five or six years has been at historic lows. My grandparents have never seen it this low. Their grandparents never seen it this low. Nope. So, you know, and depending on the market, 
I think that uh, Canadian investment in real estate is still a very, very prudent buy. If you're buying it for speculation rather than return, and you're looking for a short-term bump on that, now that's a whole nother conversation. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at for you know return on investment, the nice thing about real estate, as we all know, is that you have to be a lot more patient. You can't get reactionary like you do in equity markets and press the button and sell it, right? Because nope. you're panicked. So you don't see panic buying. So it is a very, very, very good investment in my opinion. Uh, commercial is, is I was very, very uh, bullish on commercial for a long time. And I own some commercial properties and I own some warehouse stuff. You know, it's interesting right now, um, you know, it's pulled back a little bit, but I still think, that uh, especially in in uh, warehouse industrial, I still think with the you know success of companies like you know Amazon, uh, there is more need for you know storage than there ever has been before. So I think it's going to be very uh, strong long term. Where I'm a little bit more uh, weary of is big box retailers, mm-hmm. right? You know, I'm not sure if you know, I'm I'm a uh, we are the majority the majority shareholder in Club 16. So we own 13, 13 fitness clubs mm. here in, uh, in British Columbia. Oh, I didn't know that, no. And of course, our majority, you know, our, sorry, our, our major competitor, Steve Nash, mm-hmm. uh, is, is just, you know, has just announced that they won't be reopening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because I look at it right now and, you know, big box retailers are, you know, it's going to be, you know, in my opinion, uh, tough slogging over the next little while mm-hmm. uh, because so much is going online. And now, especially with going through what we've gone through with COVID-19, people are realizing how easy it is to have grocery delivery. They're, e- they're realizing how easy it is to buy stuff and how easy it is to return stuff. So, you know, light industrial, warehouse, storage, love it, right? Retail, big box, scares me. Mm-hmm. Canadian housing market, like it depending on the fundamentals in, in each market. Yep. But like anything else, if you can hold it long term and you can, you know, rent it out and and use it as an investment, I don't think you're ever going to go wrong. We got to start to wind down a little bit, but I got some other stuff I want to ask you about. So let's go back to a couple of things that you talked about in terms of leadership and who you are and kind of what you do. You talk about habits. Have you got a, a routine? You know, have you got a kind of a morning routine, evening routine? Is there something that you do to look after yourself? Like I, I'm a big writer, journaler. Like I need to journal sometimes just to clear my head. That's a common practice. I meditate. I, I, I train. I work out. You know, sometimes very, very, you know, consistent in all of those things. Sometimes less consistent, but it's been part of my life for 35 years. And so, but I'm wondering about you, what do you do, Gary? Are you are you that disciplined, or are you kind of not as disciplined in that regard? Uh, you know, so it depends on what area of my life. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly, you know, I certainly like routine. I like consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about, you know, uh, nourishing the, the, the body, the body of mind. You talked about your insatiable desire to read books. Uh, I am much the same, but my books, you know, I'll buy anyone, any book they want anytime. I never give any of mine away because every single one of my book is underscored and highlighted mm. and the ears are turned over. Sure. Once I finish a book, I take all my key points. I put them in the uh, you know, front of the book cover. And then I take that information and I put it into my iPhone because I want to have it with me. And I use that often as the basis and reminders of, you know, communications and talking, training material and and that sort of stuff. You know, it's funny. I was a, I was a mixed martial arts fighter 
for my whole life. I was a boxer and a kickboxer. And, you know, after eight or nine years, I just picked that up again and, you know, and started uh, training again, started fighting again, not, not just, you know, just sparring and having fun with that. Um, you know, I find that was very, very good for clearing my mind. Uh, I try to go out for, you know, a minimum 30 minute walk every single day. Um, you know, there's areas in my life that, you know, uh, that I need to continue to work on. And, and one of them, you know, is, uh, you know, around that, that, that personal health, right. I'm probably, you know, still walking around 30 or 40 pounds, you know, heavier than I, than I should be, but you know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, is a work in progress. Uh, and it's something that, you know, as I get a little bit older now, I'm starting to take much more serious. Uh, and, you know, I'm starting to make some, you know, some better habits. There's areas of my life when it comes to business, I am a routine junkie. Right. Like, you know, like I, I, I honestly believe that owning a business is to serve you. You shouldn't serve the business. There is nothing in any one of my companies that I have to do in order to make it run. Mm. There is nothing like that, that I, I, I mean, literally my job is to lead. My job is to inspire. My job is to work with team, hire the best people, help them grow, make sure I look after their personal health and welfare, right. And take care of those people. There is nothing that I have to do. If I don't show up and I get on, I mean, I've been taking every summer off, you know, two months, two and a half months for 12 years. I've been taking them off, like totally uninterrupted. Mm. If there's a crisis, I'll jump on it. But I'm a system freak, mm. right? And if the business doesn't run itself, I'm not interested in the business. Mm. You know, so there's a, all kinds of routines that, you know, we could, you know, extrapolate on at another time mm. around business. So it depends on what area of my life. I'd love to do that. You know, it's interesting. I would love to have that conversation with you. I think I'm probably... Uh... Uh, not as needed as I like to think I am, but I still like to get in the trenches because I love what I do. You know, mm -hmm. there's, uh, you know, I, I joke about it, but it's true. Is you know, I'm on the Freedom 95 program because I don't ever see myself not doing this or doing some version of this because that's what lights me up right now. And and maybe I'll get tired of it one day, but right now I don't. I'm the same way. Yeah, the team, yeah. the team that I have. If you know, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, there's no doubt that my team would, uh, you know, pick up the slack and, and, and move it forward. So I'm pretty confident in all of that as, as sometimes as convoluted as business can get. So we're going to wind down, but I always do some, have some fun with some rapid fire questions, Gary, and, uh, you ready to do that? Sure. Okay. Yeah. You got to have a, you read a lot. Have you got a favorite book that you gift? Uh, probably the favorite book that I gift is the compound effect by David Hardy or by uh, Darren Hardy. Yeah. Uh, it's a great book. It's, Darren is, you know, like, listen, I'm a lifelong learner yeah. and there is nobody when it comes to leadership skills yeah, he's and so nobody, good. he's got a program in San Diego. It's an expensive program. It's a three day program. It's about 40 hours over three days called the high performance forum. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've been back four or five times and I keep paying to go back once, twice a year yeah. because for me, it's just a dose, right? Of yeah. Energy again. And every time I leave that program, I come back with 60 or 70 things that I, you know, have yeah. to now move up to my priorities. So, yeah. you know, the most uh, gifted book would definitely be the compound effect. Yeah. My, my, my best read and most favorable read uh, recently was probably a book called winner's dream by Bill McDermott. He was the former CEO of SAP one of the largest software companies in the world has yeah. just recently left them and joined somebody else, but a phenomenal book. Do you ever read any fiction? Never. Yeah. I only, the only time I read fiction is on vacation. Uh, you know, I don't know. That's only the only time yeah. I'm really interested in it. Yeah. Like, just kick my I can't brain get inspired off. by it. What, yeah. you know, what I love, what the closest thing to fiction for me, and I read a lot of them is biographies. Yeah. 
right? Yeah, but I, but I'm not a, I'm not a fiction guy. I, yeah, I yeah. just you know I read I read you know one fiction book in my entire life because you know <laughs> somebody asked me to do it and that book was The Alchemist. Oh yeah, great book. Uh, yeah, great, great book. book by the yeah, way. Totally, totally. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a favorite inspirational quote? I guess so many of my actually one of those guys who uh, collects quotes, but my favorite one for me is wake up, kick ass and repeat. Nice. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you get to the gates? Welcome. Room, desk, or your car. What do you clean first? Desk always. Always. So is that like, uh, is that how you, is that how your brain fires the best you can't like clutter doesn't work? Well, if you look at my desk right now, it's incredibly cluttered, but I, I am, you know, I'll go through it tonight when I finish and, you know, I'll completely, when I, when I sit down to have a call, I like it being as clean as possible. When there's shit piled up for an extended period of time, it drives me crazy. So yeah, I like to have it clean. Favorite swear word? Uh, I mean, I think the one probably everyone answers, the one I use most and I, I should use it the least is fuck. Yeah. I still, it's one of my favorites. Listen, you know, I've had guests that go, no, I don't, I don't swear. I go, good for them. How's that even possible? No idea, but I'm proud of them for <laughs> Gosh, it. Gosh, good for you. I, I don't want to even, I don't want to even aspire to that. Um, yeah, I also like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite tune? Oh God, I got, I got, a, I got so many favorite tunes. I mean, you know, the one tune that, that I, that I like, and you know, it was, it was, you know, uh, early days, you know, sort of my, inspiration song song was taking care of business bto oh yeah goes back many 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 years yeah. i was when i was inducted into the canadian mortgage hall of fame i came out under with the uh, tune taking care of business cranking beautiful favorite movie uh probably top gun or uh, forrest gump i love you know the goodness of forrest gump yeah yeah, yeah. i like good news stories i yeah. want the guy to get the girl i want the person who's sick to become healthy and yeah. i want you know want the world to be a great place yeah what are you grateful for today gary I think I'm grateful for, you know, what most of us are grateful for, uh, family, friends, good health. You know, we're blessed, right? We live in a, in a wonderful country. We, we got the, you know, we got the winning lottery numbers when we were born here in, uh, in Canada. And, uh, you know, I pinch myself every single day, uh, you know, knowing that I get to do what I do. Yeah. I'm grateful for having you on the show today. I'm grateful for getting to know you a little bit better. Today, I'm incredibly grateful for, uh, for my wife. And like you, I'm incredibly grateful for uh, living in the country we call uh, home. It's just Canada, and it's, it's an awesome place to be. Gary, thank you so much for your time, for your energy, for your insights that you shared. Well done. You know what? Absolute privilege. Thank you for having me. And uh, Patrick, maybe uh, let's uh, exchange emails or text in the next couple of days. And uh, when we get out of this crazy time, Love to uh, come down and have a glass of wine or lunch and get to know you better. I think you're doing amazing work. And you've done amazing work for, uh, you know, uh, uh, for your organization for, for a lot of years. You've got a great team there. A lot of our guys have worked uh, closely with you over the years. Uh, and I would like to speak to you about some of your data and ways that we can do more together. Perfect. Thanks, Gary. All right. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.